0: Do you know what a Holy Ghost tangent is? Faith, you know what a Holy Ghost tangent is. you know what a tangent is when you go on a tangent? You kind of become obsessed with something? Well, there are Holy Ghost tangents. When you're a student of the Word of God, you'll be studying something. And the Holy Ghost will just lead you, okay, into just going deeper and deeper and deeper into that Topic in the 66 books of the Bible. And that's what happened. That's what happened to me uh, last week when I began to really focus that the Israelites, right, are going to conquer the promised land. The enemy established the promised land with a stronghold of giants and uh, giant cities with huge walls. And that was to keep the Israelites out from coming into the promised land and essentially establishing the Promised Land and bringing forth Messiah, who would bring salvation to the world. So, as I begin, as I began to just look more and more at this concept of strongholds, I said, I, "I'm going to share with you." So, I thought I would share a part two with you tonight. And in the last couple of days, part three now has developed. So, next week I'm going to talk with you about building. A godly stronghold in your life. Tonight we're going to talk about demolishing demonic strongholds because in the Bible there are two types of strongholds there are godly strongholds and there are demonic strongholds. So tonight we'll talk about demolishing demonic strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. I'd ask you to stand with me for the reading of the word. And the word of our Lord. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Heavenly Father, Lord God, open up, Lord God, your word to us tonight, and also open up our eyes, Lord God. There may be strongholds in our personal life that the enemy has established. There may be strongholds in our families, in our marriages, in our church, in our culture. And these are things, Lord God, that you have called us to demolish. And I pray, Lord God, that you would lead us and guide us tonight through your spirit, teach us your word, show us your will. And Lord God, reveal what you want us to do, Lord God, tonight. And in Jesus' name we pray this, Amen. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 1 through 6. I want to read I want to read this to you and bring you back to this again. The word here says, More of a brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. I just want you to notice those, those five words. These things became our examples. This, this whole, again, passage is talking about the cloud by day that guided Israel is an example to us. The Red Sea, the opening of the Red Sea is an example to us. The manna from heaven is an example to us. Water from the rock is an example to us. This entire generation dying in the desert, in the wilderness, is an example to us. So we find, again, these these examples. The entire Bible is filled with these life lessons and the examples for us. In fact, I believe one of the the wonders of the Bible, and as you you study the word of God, again, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword, as it tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, you can find yourself in any chapter of the Bible. And sometimes it may be good and sometimes it may be bad. But you could find yourself throughout the scriptures, in, in you know, in every narrative, in every story, you can find yourself, again, in those specific passages. So you may be reading the Bible and you may be looking and and you know, you may be studying the Centurion and be saying to yourself, Why I have the faith of the Centurion, or you may be looking at Thomas and saying, I have the doubts of Thomas. You may be going through the seven churches right, and looking at at the church of Ephesus and be saying to yourself, boy, this is true of me. I don't have the same love and passion for Jesus that I had when I first started. I need to return to first things. You may be looking at the church of Laodicea and saying, hey, I've become incredibly lukewarm. I've become somebody who just is taking all that God is and is doing in my life for granted. So there's lessons. And here, when you get into strongholds, there's a, a great lesson. Satan, again, created this stronghold in Israel and around Israel. to keep the Israelites from getting in there and establishing the promised land and bringing forth Messiah. A stronghold is a fortress. It is uh, a fortress with fortified walls, towers, a moat. And strongholds, essentially demonic strongholds, are designed to basically put human beings into bondage. They can serve as a prison that keeps the person captive to sin, to uh, addiction, to you know some type of uh, of sin habit. So. When we, look, when we look tonight, that's what we're going to be looking at, is these demonic strongholds that the enemy places in a person's life. Now, I want to show you this is a great little illustration. The anatomy you have a stronghold,
1: and you will look here. Just you know, this, this is a list of a number of different, I just went out, right? Something
0: happened here, they're not hearing me.
1: He's on. And
0: that, you know, that could be money. Uh, a stronghold can be fear. Right? We we talk about this. We we live, I mean, so much fear in the church. I just see people running, creating fear in other I mean just just they, they just create fear. You've got to you, you know run away. You know, run away. There's there's like somehow there's a better place somewhere. You can eat the same stuff in that place. And you're bringing your same fear there and you'll probably contaminate all the other people with your fear. But it's, it's just, it's, you know, it, it's a disease, right? I, I, really, a disease. And, and, and there are people, I call them poachers. There are people who are poachers, and they've left this church to go to some other place, and they poach people here. They're, they're trying to poach, you know, poach them out of the body of Christ. And they use fear as their, as their motive to do that. And they, of course, appear very, you know, they're very spiritual, very deep, but they're poachers, Beware of poachers. I'll tell you this: God's gonna, God will deal with them. But they, 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 just they, they, pry on people's fears, and they work on people's fears with that. And um, and then again, it, it all it all flows from from lies and from deception. So let's look. Let's look at. I'm gonna break this down. The first thing: understand that it's a spiritual battle. So. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our war- warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So uh, it's a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. Right? You, you, could be the, the, you could be the greatest martial artist in the world, and when it comes to fighting spiritual battles, the martial arts are not going to help you. So I want to show you this. This is um, John Jones. John Jones, I believe, is he's the greatest fighter that has come along, right, in martial arts uh, in the UFC since it began. He's a highly skilled, um, incredible physical abilities. How many of you know that John Jones was raised in a Christian home? His father is a preacher. Father's heartbroken. Not because John's a fighter, but John has been arrested uh, a number of times. He has struggled with major addictions to alcohol and to drugs. He's been in and out of rehabs. He's been arrested for domestic violence. So though he's able to win fights in the physical realm, he is losing the battles in the spiritual realm. So again, the battle is a spiritual battle. In uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now watch, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, of the age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So just the key thing. You, you don't realize it is a spiritual battle the strongholds are spiritual they are spiritual strongholds that have been established by the devil and it could be again in your personal life it could be in your family it could be in your marriage it could be in the church it could be in the culture around us in the nation second thing identify the strongholds so again second corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 through 6 but you know mighty in god right these weapons, mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, but essentially, again, you need to identify the strongholds. A stronghold could be something in your personal life. It could be, again, a sin. It could be some type of sin habit, um, laziness, uh, doubt, unbelief, lust, uh, greed, drugs, You know, alcohol. It could be something that is in your family. There, there are generational sins. Sins that are, that are passed on from generation to generation. The sins of the fathers are visited upon the children until the third and fourth generation. And that could be some type of, again, that could be some type of, of behavior that children learn from their parents, right? Children, by the time they're five years old, they basically developed about 90% of their personalities. So these, these things that their parents are doing, they're, they're, you know, they're sucking in those things and they're absorbing them. So it could be something again that is in the family. It could be something in the church. A stronghold, a demonic stronghold. How about a demonic stronghold in the church? And we you know, this is something we, we battle continuously, is false doctrine. People come in. I mean, you got, you know, I mean, false doctrines that have that have attempted to infiltrate the church, legalism, They're a spirit of religion, right? A stronghold of religion, uh, charismania. Right? That's, you know, again, the, the charisma of the Holy Spirit taking to crazy extremes and, and nuttiness. Uh, these teachings that, again, can be passed on. They can be passed on from generation to generation. They infiltrate the church, they destroy churches. I say this when I drive here, I'll pass five buildings that were once living words, they were once thriving church communities. And now, You know, one is a house, one is a library, one is an an art studio, one is an office right down the street here on Washington Avenue. They were once thriving churches. And what happened, the devil developed a stronghold. He established a stronghold in those churches and ultimately destroyed the church. So, I mean, it it could be, again, in the church, it could be in your family, uh, it could be in your personal life. So identifying strongholds, how do you do that? So 2 Corinthians 13.5, ESV version. Examine yourselves in your own personal lives. Good to have a time of examination. Every day, every day, part of, my, you know, part of my, my time with God, my power with God, is always taking a look at myself and having God sift me, having God examine me and reveal to me sins things that, that maybe I have done that are wrong, or things that, are, that I'm doing that are habitual, and then you know, bringing it to God, asking him for his grace and his help to overcome them. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize that this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? But that is a, a, examining ourselves. What is... The criteria for examination. The criteria is the word of God. Right? That is the, you know, the plumb line. The plumb line, right? The plumb line is straight. And it, it, the word of God is straight. The word of God will reveal to us things in our lives, things in the church, right? Things that are going on in the world. The word of God will reveal to us these things that are not right, these strongholds that the enemy may, has, may have established. So when you examine yourself, have the, have the word of God there with you. Now, when you, when you identify, when you are identifying, again, a stronghold, and here, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 10, the word of the Lord says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth when you come to a time of examination, you have to come into the light. And God, God is going to expose. Right? He's going to expose sin in your life. He's going to expose sinful habits in your life. He will expose the strongholds that the enemy may have established in your life. And again, it's, it's something we do with the church. You know, some, something I just said about poachers. I think there are people sitting here looking at each other. What do you think? I didn't know about that. Do you think that I don't know about these people who are poaching you? Come on, what are you kidding me? The Holy Spirit—the Holy Spirit revealed stuff to me very quickly, and then I start—I start hearing, and you, you know, you start observing things. But you know, just when you take the church, and we as leaders need to do this, and put it under the light of God, we see that you know we're not the perfect church. <laughs> we're a church made of a bunch of imperfect people. And I think that's important. That's important, really. And at times there are things that can be going on here, and this has been going on, you know, in my life over thirty years. You need to identify those things, or again, the enemy can establish that stronghold and destroy the church. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and the, uh, the, world, uh, the word is not in us. So when you when you identify right, you identify these things, and this could be you know it could be a strong, uh, a small stronghold. It could be a big stronghold. But when you identify these things, right, that these these again these habits, sin habits, that. You come to the Lord. You bring it into the light, right? You 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 see it. You confess it. You repent from it, and you can be walking away. And this is again, this is a way that God will set you free. Now, I want to show you. I want to show you something. And this is something I think we should all be aware of, because I think right now, I mean, if you're not aware that we're living in the last days, I mean, again, I don't. You got your head. You know, you got your head in the sand. But these things, I mean, there are so many things that we are seeing full, you know, fulfilled. You know, right now, the government is on the verge of producing a digital currency. This isn't Bitcoin. I've been a defender of Bitcoin to people for, oh, that's the mark of the beast. No, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Really, just there's some real idiots out there. But what the government is doing and what the governments are doing basically creating a digital currency. No more paper dollars. So what will be happening is every transaction that you make, the government will be monitoring it. They're going to be essentially controlling your money. If they don't like, let's say you tithe to the church. They don't like that. They shut off your money. Or maybe you're spending too much on utilities, because right now, right, everything is, is green and everybody has to be contributing to the, to the religion, right? The religion of, of climate control. And um, what will happen is they can shut off your utilities. And uh, what, when you look at what is happening with digital currency, what is that? It's Revelation 13. <laughs> Revel, Revelation 13. But this is one of, of so many things. I, I, preach, I preach about, right, storms a couple weeks ago, talking about Jesus. What, ha- what happened in Hawaii? What's happening in California? What's happening in multiple other places in the world? Again, global warming or God's warning? Right, global warming or God's warning? These are the warnings that Jesus said would be happening in the last days. So we, we, are in the, we are in, I believe, the last days. Now, does that mean that Jesus is coming tomorrow? He may. Does that mean he may be coming in a year? He may. What that, does that mean he may come in 50 years? He may. We don't know, you know, but we know that right now, in the last days, days, when you see a lot of times when the scripture talks at it, it's not referring to a few days. It's a period in, a period in history. So I, 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 I like to think this isn't going to go on for a really long time. One of the signs of the end times is the condition of the church. And I want you to show this, because this is an example of the stronghold. That the enemy has in Christian churches, and it is Revelation chapter 3, 7 to, uh, 17 through 18, it's the Church of Laodicea. Because you say, I am rich, right? I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. That, that, that is the picture. I have need of nothing. I'm totally fine. My, spirit, my spiritual life is totally fine. Can I, can I tell you this? Mine is not. My spiritual life is not fine. There's there's issues that I'm working through with God every day. There's there's things that I am am very aware of. Let me just say, the more sinless you feel, the more sinful you are. Did you get that? The more sinless you think, you are, the more sinful you actually are. And the condition of this church is, we're fine. And he says, and do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? So he says, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and that you anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. I did this teaching on this last year. Are these saved people? Let me ask you this. Where's Jesus when he's talking to the church of Laodicea? He's not in the church. He's knocking on the door outside saying, let me in. And if you, if you look at what is said here, they're naked. A believer is not naked, they're clothed. And a, a believer is not blind, they see. And it, it's a picture of, of the church in the last days being filled with unsaved people. And that, that's kind of alarming. It's alarming to me. But I do see these people coming in and out of living word. There's a core here, I believe of true believers. and then you start to get on the outskirts and I believe there's a lot of people who are Laodiceans they're fine they don't they don't need, they don't need to be in the word every day they, they don't need to be in a, in, in a permanent, they don't need to be in a, in, in a service they don't need that they're fine they're just they're so. They need nothing. So that's, again, that realization. And I'm being, I'm being honest. You. Oh, you know, we have the greatest church. You know, pastor, you know, people it's testimonies on, on Sunday. We are the greatest church in the world. There's some really great Christians here. There's some people here who love Jesus, man, and they love you. But there's a lot of people, they're just kind of like, you know, they're just floating around. If, if this is the church God has brought you to, be committed to it serve here become a member here become become active here if this is not then find a church that you you th- that will happen you know to you with but the idea of just this this floating this floating in and out man you're San. you're San. i know that uh, people watch there's probably a lot of them are going to watch this the next few you know next they're you know going to be offended better be offended now than end up in hell later Repent. So again, th- this, is, this is identification. All right, number three. Surround the stronghold with weapons. So again, when the word is talking to us here about, you know, pulling down strongholds, how do you do that? So the f- first thing I want to share with you, surround, surround the stronghold with the word of God. Surround the stronghold with the word of God. Hebrews chapter four, twelve. for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul, the spirit, the joints, the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, let me give you, a, I'll give you something very practical here. For every negative stronghold, there is a powerful word to surround it with. That is the, uh, you know, the opposite, and the truth from God. So, If you are struggling with a stronghold of depression, surround it with the word of hope. I'm just going to throw one verse here because there's tons of them in the scripture. Jeremiah 29.11, most of you know that passage. If you are struggling with a stronghold of rejection, surround it with the word of acceptance from Abba. Romans chapter 8, 14 through 17. If you are struggling with a stronghold of unresolved anger, surround it with the word of forgiveness. Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15. If you are struggling with a stronghold of fear, surround it with the word of faith. Isaiah chapter 41, 8 through 10. If you're struggling with a stronghold of failure, surround it with the word of victory, Romans 8.27. And if you're struggling with confusion, surround it with the word of peace, John chapter 16.33. And you can go on, you can go on and on. Now, how do you do that? Write it down. Post it around your home. Post it around your workspace. Put it on your dashboard. One of my one of my clients, they put sticky notes, the sticky notes with things that they're, they're trying to overcome these things in their life. Sticky notes all over the outside of their computer, which they're in front of them most of the time. You can create a screensaver, memorize it, put it into effect. I have been quoting Psalm one and Psalm 118.24 every morning. Now, last year... It was Psalm 118, 24. This year, it's Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing, right? This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, verse 24. But every day, I write them down. As I go through my, you know, my journaling, I put them there. I would say, today is a day of the Lord. Sunday is the day of the Lord. I put the date down, and I put both scripture verses there. I want to get that again, get it into my mind, but you need you need just again surround that stronghold with the word that applies to what you 're dealing with. number two, truth. so there's again a, a, a direct connection and correlation between the word and truth, but john eight thirty one Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Surround the stronghold with truth. That can be painful. Okay? Sometimes the truth is bitter, sometimes it's sweet. But just realize this. The enemy, one of the key things that the enemy does is he basically deals... In creating confusion, he deals with creating chaos. God always deals with truth, which creates clarity. So, whenever you're experiencing confusion in your life, that's not God. I tell tell people this all the time in in coaching and counseling. They're dealing with confusion. There's confusion in their business. There's confusion in their personal life. There's confusion in their finances. Confusion in their marriage. Confusion in their family. Confusion with their children. Confusion in their spiritual life. That's the work of the enemy all the time. He is the master of deception, creating confusion and chaos. When people are sitting there again, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. And that's, that's a sign the enemy is creating that confusion in your life. God will create peace. God will create clarity. So if people are suffering from, I see people with doctrinal confusion in their life, that's the enemy. People come to share, they have doctrinal confusion in their life. That's the enemy. The enemy creates doctrinal confusion. Sexual confusion. See that in the world now? They're, now they're, I think they've identified a hundred genders. The Bible says there's two, two genders. Right? You have a man and you have a woman. Not not a, a man who thinks he's a woman or a woman who thinks they're uh, they're a man. Or now they have people thinking they're animals. Right? And that's again, that's the enemy. That that is the enemy. That's a stronghold that the enemy has put in your life. Enemy always deals, right? Look at this picture. The brain on the right, that's the work of the enemy. That is confusion. God will always instill in us clarity. With God, when you you are walking with God, you'll think straight. You'll, You'll be focused. Your priorities, you'll have your priorities in order, and there will be a level of consistency with that. So, essentially, again, when you get into the truth and you surround the stronghold with truth, you begin to break it down. Truth is, right, the metaphor for truth in the scriptures is is light. When you come into the light of the Lord, right, you will expose the deception, the lies, the cons. Here's another one. Surround the stronghold with praise. So you know the story of Jehoshaphat? Moab and Midian came out with their armies against Israel. They, the, the Israelites were outnumbered, they were out uh, I don't know if there's such a word, but they, I mean they were just totally outnumbered out, out armed. The the Moabites and the Midianites come out with this massive, right, this massive army. Jehoshaphat, right, he's he's the king. Uh, A prophet comes to him. What does the prophet tell him to do? Something very unusual, right? He he says to him, you're not going to fight the battle. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's. And so he, he instructs Jehoshaphat, put the priests in front. Imagine that. You're going into war. They don't have swords. They don't have spears. They don't have shields. Put the priests in front and have them praise the Lord. Let me just read. I'll read to you Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17 through 19. You will not need to fight the battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, and they were worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. And what did God do? He sent confusion amongst them. They started killing each other, and the battle was won by the Lord. Surround the stronghold with praise. Praise God. Look, go back to, to Jericho, right? Same thing. The the, the, wall, the double walls of Jericho and the chariots would ride on top of the wall. God instructs, right? He instructs Joshua. You guys are going to march around it six times, one time each day for six days, and on the seventh day you're going to march around it seven times. I don't know if I ever told you this, I did that with um, this building. Before we even leased it, because there were things we had to do with the town, coming into a a building and and leasing it to have church, and I literally, I ran around the block six straight days, and on Sunday I ran around the block seven times, and I claimed it for the Lord and made a loud shout. Sometimes you do kooky things never realized how much building he was going to give us. All we were looking for is one little area, one little part upstairs. I never realized he was going to give us the whole thing. Who knows what else he's going to give us? So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, donkey and the edge of the sword. That's a picture, a shout of victory. And it, it, it's, it's a picture of obedience to God's command. As strange as it would seem, right to Jehoshaphat and to Joshua, it's what gave them victory. Now I want to show you, I want to show you one more, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Peter Peter's locked up in prison. He's locked up between two soldiers and chained to them. What was the church doing while Peter was uh, in prison? Peter's in a stronghold. He's he's in a stronghold. He's he he's in the you know the the prison here in chains. Watch what the the church you know did Acts chapter uh, 12 verse uh, 4 through 7. And when he had arrested him, Herod arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people uh, after the Passover. And Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And then the angel came and set Peter free. Peter went to the church and he knocked on the door and a young girl answered the door. What was her name? Rhoda, and when Peter said, "It's me, Peter," she ran back inside because she thought it was a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great funny story. When the enemy develops a stronghold in your life, in the church, we need to surround it with prayer, constant prayer being lifted up. You know, just something—something I see in the church. Do you believe in prayer? Because I wonder about people, and I'll see people in the church that, you know, they're, they're dealing with something, there's something going on in their life, in their family, their marriage, illness, and they don't ask for prayer. You know, when, when I had my surgeries, one thing I asked the church, I, by the way, I said to the church, pray for me, I didn't ask you to come and visit me because I didn't want a lot of people visiting, I asked, please don't come and visit me, I need to recover, but I, I believe in prayer, and I asked, you know, I asked for prayer. It goes back to the, the early days. I experienced a paralysis years ago before I was a Christian. And when I started the church, I was, I was experiencing, really, it was, it was probably one of the most painful things, excruciating pain, nerve pain. Nothing worse than nerve pain. Radial, medial pain going down into my hands and my neck. Just I, I put ice on my back all the time to try to you know, deal with it. But I had the church praying for me. And asking the church, you know, and the church is small, was 20 people, but asking the church to pray for me. Because I, I do believe that, you know, I, I believe prayer heals. I believe prayer delivers. Prayer breaks down strongholds. And I, I, again, I, I see people sometimes, they're like, oh, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm ill. Pastor Frank, would you pray for me? But don't tell anybody else to pray for me. I'm like, do you believe in prayer? You know, do you believe in prayer? I don't know if it's pride or it's just a total disbelief in prayer. But, you know, how about you? Today, I talked to a family. Their 11-year-old daughter was diagnosed with cancer. She's got a tumor on her kidney. I told her, the mother today, that I will be praying with the church and we will have her name out, okay, to the entire church for the prayer partners. And her mother is a woman who believes in prayer. And she was just so thankful that we'll be praying for that little 11-year-old girl from Ohio and be lifting her up. But surround, surround your stronghold with prayer. Ask people to pray for you. Look, if it's something extremely private and intimate, ask your circle to pray for you. It might not be something you want the whole church to be praying for you. But you want people to be praying for you. And surround that stronghold with prayer because prayer tears down strongholds. Okay, last, last thing I'm going to share with you. Tear down the stronghold. And if you look with me here, look at this quickly. Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? It's his word. How do you tear down strongholds? Right again, the word of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have to fight the battle between our ears because the enemy, he will will bring thoughts into our minds. He will will slip things into our minds. As I understand this, the the power of the thought, when you have a thought and entertain it, it's a negative thought. It could be a positive thought too. But when you entertain a thought, that thought then grows, and it can grow into an attitude. An attitude is a habitual way of thinking. Given enough time, that attitude has a profound effect upon your lifestyle and your character. That could be, again, whether it's positive or negative. That's why we need to fight the battle for the mind every day. And then number six, uh, verse 6, and it says, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You know what Paul is dealing with here? He's talking about the disobedience of the Corinthians. He actually had to remove a man from the Corinthian church because he was having sexual relations with his stepmother. Now you read about that in chapter, chapter 6. The idea here is that there may be things or people that you need to remove from your life that are basically fostering and, and basically feeding the stronghold. There, there, are just, there are places, I say this, I cannot go. There are people I will not hang around with because I know that those people can influence my life. There are things that I, 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 you know, I, I cannot use. I, in, in working with people, the influence of your iPhone and your computer which may have you in bondage? So you you need you need to do something. What did Jesus say? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Your left hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Your right hand. Uh, people are like, well, you know, well, just it's my you know, iPhone. Have you ever heard of a hammer? <laughs> what if that thing, what if that thing sends you to hell? Was it worth going to hell for? But just you, there are things you need to remove from your life, and I think that's you know that's key. So again, fin- final application here: identify it, identify the stronghold, surround the stronghold with the Word, with truth, with praise, with prayer. Tear down the stronghold with the knowledge of God, the Word of God. Take captive your thoughts, and remove the negative influences right from your life.